Uh, my name is Matt Wicks, and I was here a long time ago. If you're under the age of 20, you weren't born when I was a member here. But um, it's so good to be here with you this morning. And um, just a little background on me real quick so you know who's with you. Um, I met my wife, Rachel, here in 19... Um, I met her in 1991. I married her in 1999 on this stage right here. It looked a little different back then. Um, after eight years of chasing her, I pretty much just drug her to the altar. She said, take me, and that was it. We've had 20 glorious years ever since. Um, we have three daughters, and I have a 17-year-old daughter who says I'm extra. I have a 10-year-old daughter who says I'm the best dad ever. And then I have a 14-year-old daughter who claims she's adopted when she's not. So I'm not sure what that means. Um, it's called teenagers, right? And so we're blessed to, to have them. But I want to just say this morning... What a privilege and what an honor it is to be at Harvest Church. I want to pay honor and tribute to Pastor Kevin and Adrian Cooley. Um, I love your pastors dearly, don't you? And, and I know they love you. I, I know they love this church and give their life for the church as the Lord gave his life for the church. And it's just such a, a precious pleasure to be with you and serve you the word of God this morning. Uh, we, we go way back with the Cooleys. We define back in the day. Um, with the coolies. In fact, here's a picture of Pastor Kevin. Um, I believe we've got a couple photos to share. Are those ready? Um, on your side, there's my wife and Pastor Kevin Cooley, um, way back in the mid-90s, singing, um, uh, probably on this stage, leading worship. And you know, Pastor Kevin uh, played an instrumental role in getting me to enter into the ministry. In fact, I preached my first sermon in, in the old rock dock when we used to meet in the, a youth group over here. Um, I guess it's a cafe or a waiting area. I'm not sure. Birthing place. I don't know what you do over there now. But um, I just know that, that um, we got another picture of me coming up, and, and this is what Pastor Kevin and makes people do. We had um, wrestling night or, or something, and, and so he talked me into dressing like this. You know, everyone was, I wish I'd had his picture, but he didn't show up. He was too far back, but you can take that down now. God bless you. I'll lose it. Whatever anointing I had, it'll be gone. And so uh, that, that was um, us back then. I can still remember doing lots of push-ups in his office because I wanted to look good in that picture, you know, flexing really hard with my Bible. And I don't have a whole lot to push out anyways, but I pushed what I had. And um, I probably didn't have a 10-minute sermon for the youth group, but what I love about Pastor Kevin and Adrian is that they are the best recruiters. They see the potential in people, and they nudge you till you take a giant step for God. Isn't that true? And they're still doing that 20 plus years later, and I'm, I'm so thankful to be here today to get to share with you. Since that time, uh, my wife and I spent time overseas, or I guess you could say Honduras and Mexico, uh, as missionaries and associate pastors at a church in Texas, and then lead pastors for 10 years, and so we've gotten to do a lot of great things. And I look back to a walk at the YMCA right here in Mobile, Alabama with Pastor Kevin Cooley, where he was asking me this crazy question, what are you going to do with your life for God? I thought, I don't know, I just got out of college. What am I supposed to do with my life for God? And, and of course, he had a place for me, uh, you know, a place like the Rock Doc to jump in and roll up my sleeves and, and put my gifts to work for something bigger than myself. And, and now here you are all serving and, and being a part of this church and giving your lives for a great cause. So I just wanted to, to honor them this morning. So this morning... I was really trying to think of a good title for this message, because that's the hook, man. It's got to be really good. And so I found some book titles that I thought might be um, inspirational to you. Here's a book title. No matter how much you promise to cook or pay the rent, you blew it because Bill Bailey ain't never coming home again. <laughs> Isn't that a great title? Don't you just want to read that? Or, or how about this book right here? And to my nephew Albert, I leave the island what I won off Fatty Hagen in a poker game. 
These are great titles. So I, I thought about that office supply store called Staples that used to be in this city. And um, they used to have a red button. And then when life got hard or your office task got difficult, there's this giant red button called Easy. And you could put that button anywhere you needed it. And when things got difficult, you just smacked it. And that was just easy. So here's my easy message title today, The God You Know. I want to talk to you about God's plan for your life. And, and you're in a series about God's plan. And God's plan has always been that mankind would know him and be known by him. And there's no higher calling for your life than to know God to walk with God, to be in covenant with God. That's a big Bible word. How about this? To be friends with God, to experience God. I don't care if you work on an offshore rig or if you're a greeter at Walmart or whatever you do with your career. The greatest calling for your life isn't what you do for God. The greatest calling, the first calling, is to know God and to be experienced by God, and to experience God, and to, to be friends with God, and to draw joy from God. And I mean, I know a lot of people. I know some of you, but I haven't seen you for 20 years. And we've got some shared memories, but I can't say I know what's going on in your life, and you couldn't really say you know me. You just know me. You know, see, it's got different influence there, doesn't it? You know me, but you don't really know what's going on with me. Then I've got my mom, Ruth Wicks, who's been in this church since it was just a field. She was sitting here waiting for you to build the church, and she's been in the, youth, the children's department. She's probably here now watching. Mom, I love you. I wouldn't be here without all your prayers and love. And so Ruth Wicks has served your children for years, and, and they're someone that knows me. Now, she loves me not only because she knows me, but in spite of what she knows about me. That's a mama's love. And then I've got my wife, Rachel, in the front row, who we're still married after 20 years. Well, she really knows me. And, and she knows the, the good, the bad, the ugly. And, and when the Bible speaks of us knowing God and, 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 and God knowing us, it uses this word um, throughout the New Testament called gnosko. It's a Greek word. And it shows up about, about 200 times in the New Testament, but 49 times in the book of John. So the book of John really focuses on people getting to know God. And of course, John was a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if you read the book of John, that's where almost every new believer, when you first put your trust in Jesus Christ, churches will say, here, here's your Bible, now read the book of John. Why? They want you to get to know him. They want you to begin to experience God and his love for you, for yourself. Just like that song we sang, I love today that we're going to kick down some lies and knock down some walls so that you can experience God's love fully in your life. I'm not trying to talk you into a ministry or to do anything for the church. I want you to walk out of here and get, to close to, get as close to God as physically possible without leaving this earth. That's, that's going to be success for the rest of your life. Not your ministry or what you do. We get caught up in that, and it's an illusion and a lie. That just creates pride. I love that we had people on stage worshiping, and I love that we've got people behind the scenes that made coffee and parked cars and are taking care of children. We're all getting the same reward, the Bible says. But beyond all of that activity for God is this knowing God. And wouldn't you hate to do all that but miss the big picture of knowing God? And Jesus said in Matthew 7 when he was talking to his um, followers and to listeners and even to the religious people of the day, the Pharisees, Matthew 7, 21, he says, Not every one of you who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not not prophesy in your name 
and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles and park many cars and gave a lot of offerings to the church and did a lot of good churchy things and went on some picnics. Come on. We can start seeing our service, our tradition, is something that makes us holy. And the Pharisees, the religious people of the day, who argued about the Scriptures and knew the Scriptures and turned Ten Commandments into about 624 practical laws, including the, including the tithing of their salt and their mint and their parsley, these guys were tight. They tithed everything. They were very religious, and Jesus would come over and look at the scriptures with them and peek over their backs while they're reading their scrolls in Sunday school and say, hey guys, you're reading that, and it's pointing to me, and you can't even see me standing here. And everything I'm doing for you, healing the sick and, and all these miracles right in front of your very eyes, you're missing that that's God. In fact, you're saying, I've got a demon. And so they, didn't, they thought they knew the Lord, but what they knew was religion. And I don't want you to spend the rest of your life thinking you know God when all you're really doing is trying to, wear religion, to, trying to do religion, and religion will wear you out. And, and what I believe God's put on my heart this morning is to come and encourage you, because here's a quote worth writing down. People see the Bible as one of two things, either the largest rule book ever written or the longest love letter ever written. Same book, different set of eyes looking at the book. And this, this will tell me a lot about you if I asked you, how do you see the Bible? Because if you see it as the longest rule book ever written, sooner or later, you will give up trying to be a Christian. You'll give up trying to live for God because you've converted it into this thing of what do I need to do for God instead of how much does God really love me? In fact, he loves me so much, I'm now free not to sin. I can, I can move from being a compulsive mess and trying to medicate all this pain that's in my life to this beautiful place of receiving the love of God, and all of a sudden, I'm free not to sin. I don't have to be a slave anymore. So God wants to know you. I want to express that to you this morning. It says in Psalm 37, 18, that the Lord is intimately acquainted with the lives of the blameless. Their heritage will last forever, and they won't be ashamed in troubling times. I, I want to speak to you this morning, church, because many of you could be new to faith. Some of you could be here today or watching online considering faith. Maybe you're not even a believer in, in Christ, but you're, you're asking yourself the, the tough question, is, is there a God, and what am I supposed to do with him? I'm glad you're checking us out today. I'm glad you're kicking the tires. God wants to share something with you to encourage you. But the scriptures just said that the Lord is intimately acquainted with the blameless. And if you've put your faith in Christ as your Savior, you're seen as blameless. There's nothing more that can be said bad about you because your sins have been forgiven. That's why we all come in here and worship the way we do, so freely and so full of joy, because when we get a glimpse of God's love, that kind that scales mountains and knocks down walls and tears down lies, just that's called the agape love. It's a love that will pursue you, and if you spit in its face, it still comes after you and says, I love you. And God will do that till the day you're dead. Take him or leave him. He just loves you in spite of you. Amen? You don't have to perform to earn it. He just loves you because he's good. And that's my prayer for you is that you would know God. And from that, you're going to need a, a change of heart. You've got to open your heart up and say, God, I want to experience you. I want you to be first. I want to know you above all things. And if there's, if there's a concern I have for our culture today as Christ followers is that we're so busy, 
we're so distracted, we're so tempted to compare our lives to others because of social media. We, our younger generation is obsessed with followers. They say they can't even hire kids under the age of 25 anymore without basically letting them have their phone at work and that they're so addicted to their screens, and I am too, uh, you know, that, that it sits on their lap. They said 10 years ago, a guy would get his work done and the phone was two feet away, facing down. Now it's on your lap and you type a little and then you check some text and you type a little and then you do some stuff and they just, they can't even put their phone down. And, and so we're, we're distracted. And I'm, I'm looking at this verse in Proverbs eight seventeen. It says, I love them that love me and those that seek me early shall find me. People always talk about balance. You don't need balance in your life with God. Balance means you've got a scale and there's something on this side and you put something else over here until they're equal. And if you've got stuff equal with God or heavier than God, you're in trouble. You don't need balance. You need alignment. And alignment means only one thing is first and it's always God. And if you look at the life of Jesus Christ, he was always getting up early. Why? He knew what was coming. It's this thing called a day. Yeah, you ever had one? And your day gets away from you, doesn't it? Some of you get to the end of your day, you, you don't even know what you did. You're just tired from doing it. And, and then you're even more tired because you did it without him. You did it without asking for his blessing, without asking for his grace. And so God likes pursuit. One of my favorite scholars, A.W. Tozer, um, had this phrase. He says, God waits to be wanted, and for so many of us, he waits in vain. If you think you're waiting on God to do something in your life, I've got news for you. He's waiting on you. He's waiting for you to press in. Amen, amen. Matthew 7, it has that famous passage. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And if you read the Jewish Orthodox Bible, they get the verb tense right. It says, keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. And if you do, you'll keep finding and keep receiving, and doors will keep opening. God's got so much more of himself to share with you. And why does that matter? Because your life isn't supposed to be hell on earth until you crawl with bare-legged knees on your jeans across the finish line in heaven and say, thank God I made it. Can somebody get me a glass of water? That's not what you're called to live. Your life was called to be this glorious, miraculous adventure with God the Holy Spirit as your friend and Jesus as your elder brother watching over you and interceding for you that you would make it. And the Father's love surrounding you and forgiving you and, and just covering you with his favor and his grace and his goodness and his mercy. And yet I see more and more people that are in church today. Some of you have been here 10 or 20, 30 years. Maybe some of you have just begun. But we start this race in love with the Lord and all of a sudden it shifts. And we find ourselves lost without any sense of knowing what we're doing anymore for, the God, for God. We, we've had some bumps um, along the road in life that have brought us pain. We've, we've got some addictions. We've got some secrets. We've got some things going on that people don't know about, and we, we hope they never do because of the shame it would cause us. And then those lies we just sing about, those voices in your head all week long tell you you're not good enough. You don't have what it takes. You don't measure up. That great sermon about God's grace and that great plan was for someone else, but it wasn't for you. Has anybody else heard of these lies? Yeah, because you're, you're tuned into to, to, um, Satan's channel. It's his constant broadcast. And it's amazing how much 
stuff you'll put up with in your own thoughts that if one of your friends or family came and called you, you'd tell them to be quiet. Don't say that to me. Don't tell me I'm not good enough. You'd fight. If somebody pushed or poked on you, you'd fight back. But when it's your thoughts and you start accusing yourself, you can, you can marinate in that stuff for days, months, weeks. Some of us have believed lies for years. The Bible calls that a stronghold. And it's a lie that's believed as true, and so therefore it becomes true. It's lived as if it's true, even though it's not true. If you believe the lie that you've done something so bad or there's something so shameful and disgusting about you that God won't have you, then you'll stop pursuing God. And God says, that wasn't me. That's, that's a liar named Satan. He's speaking his native language. Lies. Megan Trainer wrote a song about him. All he does is lie, lie, lie. You've heard it on the radio, right? I'm dating myself. That's 10 years ago. That's 10 years for me now is one. Y'all get that? I mean, I'm, I'm 50 in, in one month. And so, um, and I know that means all of you are, are probably about 51 now, you know, if you were here when I was here um, 20 years ago. God wants you to seek him. He wants you to want him. And this is the kind of God you'll find, the James 1.17 God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from our God and Father in heaven, of whom there's no shadow of changing. God's not going to change his mind and be good one minute and then bad the next. He's not going to hurt you. He's not going to harm you. Psalm 37.23, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. That's a promise in your Bible. The Lord directs the steps of the godly, and he delights in every detail of their lives. Some of you believe that lie, that this little thing that's bothering you, this thought, this habit, this, this issue, this, this um, self-esteem problem, this low self-confidence, this lie you've believed about yourself, some of you are convinced that doesn't matter to God. It's too, it's too trivial to matter. And yet the scripture says that he delights in every detail of your life. Yes, God is mighty and big and all-powerful, but he's also intimate, and he cares about you. I want to say something profound. You don't need anything right now in your life more than you need to know him. Nothing is more important in your life right now than you knowing and walking with and hearing from God. I suggest getting your phones and getting that app called YouVersion. I think it's the most downloaded app in the history of apps. And thank God it's the Holy Bible on your phone. And then you can join a Bible reading plan and pick one your size and it'll send you little reminders. Hey, it's not too late to read your Bible today and keep your streak alive. Come on, who's, who's, who's got streaks of, on their Bible in here? Raise your hand. Look at all these Christian streakers. This is great, great, great. God's just moving in this city. I'm so proud of you. That's so good. Because this is what many people wrongly believe when life goes wrong. And you find yourself at age 30, 40, 50, divorced, bankrupt. You didn't turn out to be what you thought you were going to be. I mean, my life's been all sorts of excitements. But I can tell you, I'm 50 and I'm not where I thought I would be. And if you ask me, well, where'd you think you were going to be? I'm I don't know. I'm like my dad. I plan one way in advance, one day at a time. Jim Wicks was my father, so if you knew him, some of you here have been long enough, you can remember Pops, as we call him. So you need to know Christ. You need to know God more than you need any circumstance to change. 
And if you've been hoodwinked into believing that your life is bad because of something that happened to you, I know this lie. It's a lie. The, the, the devil wants to corner you and say, you're the only one that's ever had an abortion. You're the only one that caused a divorce like your divorce was. You're the only one that wasn't good enough to keep someone married to you. You're the only one that wasn't good enough to remain faithful to. You ever heard these lies? You're the only one that struggled this much to make money and care for yourself. It says in Corinthians, 1, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that no temptation has, ever overta- has, has overtaken you except that what is common to mankind. That means the thoughts you're having are common to everybody else. This is why I love small groups. Because you get together and you realize, I ain't the only one that's been getting told this dumb lie. Someone else has had this lie. And we're going to conquer it with the word of God and and godly fellowship. There's a reason your pastors love small groups. It's not because they want something else to manage, I can assure you. It's because when we do life in community, we get healed. The book of James says, confess your sins to God for forgiveness, but confess them to one another for healing. Some of you are saved, but you need healing. You need God to heal you. Years ago, I'd say about the last 50 or 60 years ago, maybe 100 years back, and then all the way to eternity past, when ships would get on the ocean, um, sailing was different because it required the wind. Nowadays, we've got propulsion, we've got GPS, you can get a boat in and out of anywhere. But, but, you know, 100 years back and and all of history prior, um, ocean sailing vessels required wind to move them. And they had these big canvas sails, and they'd pop it up, and they'd get moving in the direction they wanted to go, except one place. They'd enter this place near the equator in the ocean where they called it the doldrums. And the doldrums was where the northern winds would come down, the southern winds would come up, they would cancel each other out, and there's no wind. So it was really hot. You couldn't control your boat, and if you got in them, you could get stuck there for days, months, and, and usually a wreck would cause you to go down, or you'd just die of, of hunger and starvation or just get stranded. And they'd never find you again, and that was the doldrums. And if you did get out, well, by the time you got out, you were so physically exhausted, and so it was depressing. And I think that a lot of Christians today, man, we, we, we got a great church, and we got a good house or a good job or a good car. We got some good things going on. There's, you know, we're not suffering but we're in the doldrums, and it just feels like, I know I go to church, I know I've got some things done right, but it just, I don't feel right, uh, and, and you know, half of it's because we're all listening to what's going on in the rest of the world, and instead of being salt in the light, we're out there throwing stuff on Facebook and Twitter, we're more worried than anybody, it got quiet in this little church, <laughs> Jesus help us, I, I can tell you right now, if you're right with God, it doesn't matter who's president. If you've if you got things between you and God right, it doesn't matter what these crazy legislatures are going to come up with next and pass as a bill. I don't care what law they make. I've got my standard. It's called the Bible. Some of their laws fit in my standard, and some of them don't. And at the end of the day, I can't legislate the behavior of other humans. I'm happy to control myself and maybe my kids sometimes. I can't get my dog to go in the bathroom in the right spot. So why am I going to get on Facebook and worry about what everybody else is doing? Little Shih Tzu, doesn't know if he's a dog or a cat. Come here from Sikkim. He'll go to the bathroom on his front foot. He's so special. He don't, I mean, man, I got a special little dog. Who's ever had a Shih Tzu? Yeah, they're special. Y'all know. They're special. They got like retarded looking teeth. They just look up at your bug eye. Ooh. It's like, where, where is it? Where is it? I don't know. That's my dog. 
That's what I live with. I don't have time to worry about Facebook. I got five words that I believe are putting us in the doldrums, and we need the wind of God. Isn't it beautiful that the very word for spirit in the Bible is pneuma, and it means breath. It means wind. When the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, there was a wind that came in, and it filled people. And they began to speak words they'd never spoken. There was life inside of them. And some of you just need the wind of God to blow back into your life and knock you out of those doldrums. And here's, here's, the, here's the doldrums I believe we're fighting. Number one, discouragement, which my definition is it's harder than I ever thought. Some of you are just discouraged. Maybe financially you're discouraged. I just didn't think it'd be this hard to have money. I didn't think, it'd be, I didn't think I'd be this old with this little and this unprepared. Discouragement, it's harder than I thought. Single motherhood, harder than you thought. Or maybe worse, you're still married and it's harder than you thought. I don't know. God's got hope for you. It's not too late. Disappointment. Disappointment, it's, it's different than what I expected. I've experienced some disappointment in my life where I just thought things were going to be different. And sometimes we miss what God's doing when we make things have to be a certain way or we won't be happy. Because what we're doing is we're putting our source of joy on circumstance, and you are in for a train wreck if you keep living your life based on circumstance, and that's your source of joy. If circumstance is what determines a Christian's joy, then we need to pull the book of Philippians out of our Bibles because Paul wrote it from the prison, and it's the most joy-filled book of the Bible out of all 66 books. And that, He didn't have a good circumstance. What he had was a good God. And he had a good perspective on God, and he came to the conclusion that if I live, I get to work for God, and if I die, I get to be with God. You can't put me in a corner. I'm full of joy. That, that's Paul. And I want you to get to that place over your life, because I know if you're over the age of 13, you've had some things go wrong. You've had some hurts, some hang-ups, some habits. You've had some people do you wrong. You've had some disappointments. You've had some discouragement. Here's depression. Number three, it feels completely hopeless. I've never seen more drugs advertised on television than in our country. We've got some of the highest technology on the planet. We've got one of the, we're like on 67 on the list of 200 countries for quality of life. Because we're, we're trying to fix everything with a pill. Now, if you're on medicine for depression, I'm not putting you down. I've dealt with depression in my life. I know what it's like to feel hopeless. It wasn't even logical. I didn't even have good reasons to be hopeless. But if something feels hopeless, feelings are real. Sometimes we in the church, we discount that we have feelings. And feelings will lie. A feeling will tell you something that, that, to be true that's not true. A feeling will tell you when you're depressed enough that my life would be better off if I were dead. Everyone would be better off if I was just gone. That can be a real feeling, but it's a real lie. I punch that lie in the face. Call the suicide hotline. Don't sit there and, and fight that thing and, and, and let yourself um, give a temporary solution uh, or, or give a, a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Those feelings can change. And just like you entered into those doldrums, you can leave those doldrums. You can leave that. And so depression is when it feels hopeless. Defeat is the loss is too great from whichever to recover. You could be sitting here today and you're just thinking, I can't undo my past. I can't undo the, the failed marriage. I can't undo the wayward child. I can't undo the lack of education or, or skills at my age. You don't have to. 
I'm going to give you a formula today that's going to fix things for the rest of your life. Because it's called God. <laughs> you're like, man, you're pretty braggy. You're pretty proud of yourself. Well, I've got a promise up here today that I'm standing on. And the fifth one is despair. All hope is gone and there's no reason to live. So these are just my definitions. I'm sure the dictionary might tweak them a little bit differently. But if you've dealt with discouragement, disappointment, depression, defeat, or despair, I want you to know, according to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, you are not alone. No temptation, no test has come on you that isn't common to all men. That's what that verse is telling us. And Satan loves to get people alone. You watch animals hunt animals on Discovery Channel, and the ones that get caught are the ones that are alone. Don't do life alone, or you will be the devil's lunch. Because you'll believe that lie. You'll start believing, I'm not even good enough to be in a group. Those people wouldn't have me if they really knew me. That's a lie. They'd understand that you're just like them. If they knew the truth, if you knew the truth. I want to give you three things to trust God with this morning. Three things to change your life if you can trust him with these three things. Number one, trust God with your past. Because your past is forgotten. I wrestled with the word forgotten or forgiven. But I went with forgotten. Because not only are you forgiven, when you forgive somebody, you can still tell them what they did wrong that made you mad. Now, I forgive you. Oh, really? Why are you bringing it up? (laughs) Is that right? (laughs) But when you've forgotten, there's not even a fence left to talk about. It's just released. It's gone. And God says that he cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. I mean, he cancels out the record. In fact, his son Christ on the cross canceled out the code, the law that made you aware that you had the bad record. He fulfilled it all. That's good news. So in this area of your past, there's a twofold approach I want to encourage you with this morning. And number one is you need to get forgiveness and receive the forgiveness that God has to offer you for your own shortcomings and failures. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive them and to purify us from all unrighteousness. And you keep sitting here thinking about, I can't figure out what's wrong with me. I just wish I was right. I can't figure out what's wrong with me. I just wish I were right over here. I wish this was right about me. And God's, it's so interesting that the first thing he gives you when he brings you into his family adopted is righteousness. He gives you a rightness to cover up all your wrong. And not only does he absolve you of the guilt of the sins you've committed, but then he does even something greater. He removes the shame. Guilt says I've done bad. Shame says I am bad. And Christ said I came to conquer both. I came to restore your nobility, your dignity, your standing, how you're seen in the eyes of others and in the eyes of God. When Jesus grew in in favor and stature, it says in Luke chapter 2, he grew in the eyes of men and the Lord, his Father, God. God's going to restore you with dignity, and it starts with you being willing to repent of your own sins. And I'm just going to warn you, we live in a culture today where sins have become labels and identities for people. We're, we're, We're moving towards a time where we probably can't even preach from this book we call the Bible. I'd say the days are coming when they'll try to ban it. And William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, born in 1829, died in the early 1900s. He had this to say, The chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, 
forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. And we've got people preaching. You can just be whoever you are. Love yourself. Love everyone. We're all okay. No, the Bible says none of us is okay. There's a problem. I have a problem with that message. Amen. I love the Bible. It puts us on a level playing field. It says I got a problem with all of you. You're sinners. And that's why, that's why salvation, salvation's not beautiful. You know, if I went and knocked on doors in Mobile, Alabama, trying to sell life jackets and life preservers, I probably wouldn't sell many. But had I boarded the RMS Titanic in 1915, I'd have sold out. Because, man, getting saved looks good when you know you're about to drown. But the problem with our culture today is that everybody's convinced themselves that there is no drowning. We're all fine. We're all okay. Whatever we are is who we are. No, that's a lie. That's a lie. You're not your own. You're, not, you're more than your desires. And I, why, why are you saying that, Matt? Because if I can't bring you to a place to accept that you need forgiveness, then you'll keep on living in sin and wondering, what's wrong, God? I don't feel right. No, you don't. That's your problem. We've got to have repentance reintroduced. Repent means to change your mind. Don't go have an operation and change your body if you identify with something. Change your mind. Come on, change your mind, church. And here's the second half of that coin of forgiveness. Forgiving, getting right between you and God is the first half. The second half is forgive others that have sinned against you. It gets a lot harder. And the Bible's very clear. Your prayers depend on the ability to forgive others. Your own forgiveness in the Lord's prayer is dependent upon your ability to forgive others first. It says if you have something against someone else, forgive them, then the Lord will forgive you. Amen? And so I know there's some hard things that some of you have endured, and it's almost hard to comprehend. You're sitting here right now going, Preacher, if you knew what you were saying, I couldn't forgive that. You don't know what was done to me. You don't know what they said. You don't know what they did. You don't know how they touched me or harmed me. I don't. And I, know, I do know this, that it hurt. The pain is real. The struggle is real. The memory of it is real. But I also know that forgiveness is giving up on having a better past. Forgiveness is when you let go of having a better past. Forgiveness is the gift you give yourself. Forgiveness doesn't set the offender free. It sets you free. The word in nature of itself, forgiving, literally comes from two words, for and giving, meaning I am forgiving you what you took from me. I'm in favor of giving it to you. Because if you come to my house and steal my bicycle, you're a thief. But if you take my bike and you're riding off, and I'm like, Lord, bless them. I want them to have it. In fact, just let them keep that bike. I don't even want it. I want to give it to them so it's not held against them as theft. Well, I just changed my heart. My bike's still gone, but man, my heart's free. And forgiveness isn't a feeling. If you're waiting to forgive someone, some of you have been waiting 20 or 30 years. That person could be dead that did you wrong, and their act still has power on your life. It's no longer hurting them, it's hurting you. And that's the greatest unfair part of not forgiving. So I encourage you, make the decision to forgive, and the feelings will follow. They may be a month or two down the road. Devil brings it back up, just forgive him. No, I already told you, devil, I forgave him. I forgave him. And God's going to work out my pain. He's bigger. He's bigger than that mess. 
We as Christians have to get better at not judging what's good or bad. I had a friend talk me through this little conversation one time, and he kept saying, Matt, when something bad happens in life, don't be quick to call it bad. And I thought, well, that doesn't fit my theology. You know, devil's bad, God's good. It's just real simple. He says, no. He says, what we often do as Christians is we judge situations. And he says, here's what I like to say. When something in my life goes as unplanned, something just happens, I will say, this guy said, this could be good or this could be bad. Only God knows, and he's not through writing the story. I believe Joyce Meyer being raped by her father was bad. But when I look at her today, 30 years later, 40 years later, 50 years later, and she has a ministry that spans the globe, and the anointing on her ministry is healing and restoration. And when you hear her speak, she's one of the most whole people. She's conquered herself. She knows herself very well and all of her quirks and goofy things that her and her husband Dave has to put up with. And when she shares what she went through, it sounds like the deepest, darkest pain a human could be stricken with. And yet, by the power of forgiveness, she, she got to love her father before he passed, got to see him place his faith in Christ, got to hear him say he was sorry. And she's no longer a victim. She's a victor. Forgiveness is when you stop being a victim. You can't enjoy the benefits of being a victim and enjoy the victory that Christ wants to give you from the past wrongs at the same time. You've got to pick a boat. And I'm going to tell you something. This victim boat is sorry. It's got a hole in it, and it's going to leak. And it's a tiny hole. So you suffer a long time before you finally drown. Just get out of that boat and get in the victory boat. Amen? Number two, if you want to have God's plan for your life, which is to know Him fully, and to enjoy him and to be with him. You've got to trust God with your present because your present is secure. If you're taking notes this morning, that was my second point you get to write down. I didn't have a lot. Your present is secure with God. You don't have to worry about today. I love Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, Amplified Bible. It says, I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Everybody say amen. amen. Every day you wake up, have that verse on your mirror. Today, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I am ready for anything and equal to anything because of him who is in me. Greater is he who is in me than he's in the world. I thank you, John 10, 10 says that the Lord is my shepherd, and I hear the voice of a good shepherd and the voice of a stranger I will not follow. Today, God's going to take care of me. Amen. And then last, number three, trust God with your future because your future is bright. The word is so clear that God's plans for you in the future are to prosper you to bless you. The book of Psalms says he wants to load you with blessings. I like that, man. I can just see a forklift coming my way with goodies from God. Little Amazon drone. Blink. Here's one over here. Here's one over here. Here's one on your front porch. God wants to bless you. And I, and I hope you hear that through the Bible context. I don't just mean stuff. In fact, stuff's often not a blessing. It's a curse. My garage makes me want to not go in it because of stuff. Come on. I don't even want to look. We'll figure this out next spring. I'm too old for this mess. Just push it in the corner, give it away, call goodwill. I don't want it. Blessings from God are peace in your heart. 
little revelations that he loves you when things are happening. It's that comfort in your soul when someone lets you down or when you get a report from the doctor you weren't expecting to hear and you're just like, I got the favor of God on my life. Even in this circumstance, he's still around me. I mean, it doesn't matter what happens or where I go. He's on me. He's around me. He's for me. Trust God with your future because your future is bright. I want to dump this into your hearts. I'm going to download this. Isaiah 43, verse 18 and 19. Forget the former things and don't dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Amen. And look, I love that word thing. God said, I'm going to do a new thing. You know, two other times in the Bible, God talks about a thing. In the book of Proverbs, he says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and attains favor from the Lord. I don't see many greeting cards to your spouse that say, hey, thing. You're so hot, girl. I love you, thing. You're the best thing I ever had. It just, it just doesn't fit, man. I don't know. I'm not feeling it. I'm not getting the vibe off of that one. But you're like, why does the Lord say when you find a wife, you find this thing? And then in the New Testament, Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And this is talking to Mary. And therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So now I got a wife and a Jesus called a thing. And let me tell you what's significant about God doing a new thing. A thing is something that has no precedent in your life. There's never been anything like it. There's no word to describe it. Because, I mean, I've met a lot of women, sisters, mamas, girls at school. But when I met a wife, it set a new precedent. There's never been anything like her. She was a new thing from God. And she was a whole new experience for a woman and a man. That's a new thing. And God said, I'm going to send a guy named Jesus to this earth, a man, and he's going to be without precedent. There has never been a man like this to come to the earth. All God and all man. And he's going to save this world and, and, and walk with you. And then you look at that promise in Isaiah. God says, I'm going to do a new thing. What he's saying is, I'm going to do something in your life that has no precedent. So stop looking to your past. Stop looking at your neighbor. Stop saying, well, it never worked out before. It's always been this way. God's got a new thing. He's going to birth something new, something fresh, something good, something alive, something vibrant. And all it takes is a heart that says, God, I want it. I want it now. I'll take it. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you this morning in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, the strong son of God. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for faith that's alive in our hearts. We thank you for the spirit of victory that's rising up in us. We thank you, Lord, for fresh wind in our sails. We thank you for a renewed walk. Lord, we thank you. It's not about what we do for you. It's that we belong to you and that we know you. And I pray the blessing of the Holy Spirit upon this congregation right now that they would hear your voice and hear the voice of the good shepherd. And some of you today in this message sitting here or watching online have, have not yet made a decision to repent, to change your mind about how you see God. And you've been running from him, thinking that you weren't good enough, thinking that he wasn't good enough. And the truth is, is he's good enough to love you and he's good enough to love you just the way you are. And if that's you this morning, I want you to be able to say yes to Jesus Christ. I want you to be able to say, Jesus, I love you. I, I believe that I'm a sinner and that you died for sinners and I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I ask you right now to save me and forgive me of my sins and give me this life that I've heard preached this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. If you said that simple prayer, God's made a, a change in your heart, and the miracle of the new birth has begun. God bless you. It's been a pleasure to serve you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we make some noise for Brother Matt Wicks, please? How amazing was that message today?